Warhammer fantasy news, hobby, lore, and more. Welcome to the War Games Orchard with Nathan and GJ. Putting the psycho back in psychology test. This is the War Games Orchard. Welcome to the show, it's GJ today and we are going to take a look at the evolution of Panic Through the Ages. The vast ages of Warhammer fantasy spanning all the way from 1st edition right up until the end times in 8th edition. Before we do that, I have to say I am very happy to be back recording. I've been ill for a couple of weeks. Uh, at first I thought I had a flu or something. I went to bed one night with a fever and then the next morning I woke up with an ache in my leg and that spot turned a little bit red and swollen and it was a bit sensitive to the touch. So then my wife said, uh, well, maybe you should go visit a doctor, which I did. And he said, you have an inflamed blood vessel. I learned something new that day. I didn't know blood vessels could get inflamed. But he gave me some antibiotics and he gave me a, uh, a salve that should take care of the pain. And it did. And I was on the mend and I even managed to get a game in. And then the very next week I fell in ill again and this time it was with the flu uh, thanks to my little nurglings who were also ill. There was one day that my wife was basically taking care of three sick children and um, the next day uh, my youngest daughter she was uh, feeling better again so she could go to daycare. And my oldest kid, Lizzie, she had to stay home with me and she spent the entire day um, basic, basically watching TV, uh, either that or sleeping, uh, just, just being a, uh, a zombie couch potato. Um, and, and I wasn't that much better. I, it took me the entire day to uh, even make two small 5th edition army lists that usually would be just a... Uh, uh, well, I'm not going to say a matter of minutes, but uh, half an hour at most, I think. So, yeah, that's uh, uh, we were in a bit of a state here. Uh, fortunately, we're all better now. But it also means that I have some work to catch up. Um, when you are ill, at least for me, a lot of stuff that I should have been doing doesn't get done. So that when you're better, you immediately have to work overtime to get everything in order. That's what was happening last week and that's why this episode is delayed a little bit. However, despite all of these blessings from Nurgle, I still had time to do some hobby stuff. I don't really need a hobby. A hobby is supposed to pass the time, not fill it. I did absolutely nothing and it was everything that I thought it could be. We have some hobby to discuss, but we also have some news. There are a few things that have been going on in the Warhammer community on just the website warhammer-community.com, the Games Workshop news site. And one of the things that caught my attention was that the 
uh, Skarsnik novel will be made to order. I'm thinking about getting it, but I'm not sure yet, because I would really like to get that omnibus with all the extra tales as well. Um, however, I've not seen them go for anything less than 80 to 100 euros, which are basically ridiculous prices. I don't mind paying a little bit extra for books that are out of print, but I think GW should have put those omnibus books back in print. I'm even considering getting the ebooks uh, just to save money, but well, I'm a collector and I don't really like ebooks. Um, so, so I would love to have it in my bookcase at some point. I will probably get it anyway, and then maybe if the uh, if I do get my hands on the omnibus, I can I can sell it on. Um, but that might just be my FOMO speaking. Games Workshop have also announced that they will have a pricing update, which means that stuff will be getting more expensive. They've been doing that for a while now, and well, I I get it. I get why they do it. Everything's gotten more expensive. Um, that's just the way things is, uh, especially with with high cost of living, high energy prices, stuff like that. Um, the, they will make most of their money just by selling miniatures, so it, it's, it makes sense to increase those prices a bit. On the other hand, when you look back through old white dwarves and you see what the prices were 10 or 20 years ago, then it does make you feel a little bit nostalgic for the good old days where you could get uh, multiple blister packs of metal miniatures for the price of uh, five plastic miniatures on a single sprue that you could get nowadays. So um, if you if there's something you need or you've been wanting to buy, I don't know exactly when this pricing update is going to take effect. It might already have, but in case it hasn't yet, just... Uh, Grab your stuff before the prices increase. They've also announced that there will be a new Lizardman Salamander. Well, they call it differently, of course, but we all know what it is. Um, I, there are some mixed feelings, I think, about this model. They It does look a little bit big and um, a little bit maybe too menacing compared to the old ones. But I think that's also what you are getting used to, what you have gotten used to. So uh, if you want some Lizardman salamanders and you like the new aesthetic of the Lizardman, I, I definitely think that this aesthetic is also going to be used for the upcoming Old World game. Then you could probably... Um, get it and then add it to your army, just put it on a square base. It should go on a 40mm base. I'm not sure if it will fit. I, I don't really... I can't really tell the scale of this, if, if the feet would fit on the base. Um, I do have some 3D printed miniatures that I'm using as razor dons, and they turned out to be a little bit bigger than I had anticipated them to be. So the only way I could put them on a base was to put them on a 50 millimeter base but what I did then was I marked the edges of what would be a 40 millimeter base with uh, tiny little rocks pebbles a bit, a bit of gravel something that looks natural with all the undergrowth 
but also uh, gives you some indications of where the actual base should be. I haven't used them in games yet, so I don't know how this would work. Uh, and I also don't think many opponents would mind if you have a larger base. It's usually a smaller base that's uh, more menacing because then you can get more models and more attacks in. So uh, there are workarounds, uh, probably ways to do this, even if it is a little bit too big for a regular 40mm base. There's also been some 40k miniatures that I've been eyeballing. Not that I intend to get them, but I've seen several pictures of the new Attilan Rough Riders, and I have been asking myself, could you use these maybe as Kislev Cavalry? They do have that Russian um, vibe that you would expect from Kislev troops. And they also don't seem that much science fiction-ish, if you know what I mean. Uh, I think that there are some science fiction bits, mostly the lances. But if you cut them off or replace them with other lances, then I think they could definitely function in a fantasy army. Um, the only problem is that the regular Kislev um, cavalry, I believe you have... Ooh, now I might be making a mistake. I, I'm, I'm saying this off the top of my head, but uh, I think the only Kislev cavalry you have with lances or are the heavy cavalry, the Griffin Legion... And the winged lancers, and they have those, well, wings on their backs. And the lighter cavalry without wings are the Ungol horse archers. So if you are going to use them as Kislev, you should probably find a way to make those uh, wings that are so typical of the winged lancers and of the Griffin Legion. Um, and if you are going to do that, then it might just be easier to. Either wait for Kislev miniatures to drop, uh, which I'm probably sure that they will, seeing as how there was a large update of a long while ago for Warhammer, a Total War Warhammer that was also going to be used in the old world, with a lot of new Kislev units and Kislev being their own army. Uh, or you could probably go third party. There are some historical miniatures that you could use. Um, I'm not going to name any companies because I haven't looked at them really, but I do know there are some winged hussars that you could use as uh, winged lancers, uh, depending, of course, on the scale. So, yeah, this is uh, one of those miniatures that, um, even if I'm not going to get them, the Attilan Rough Riders, they, they did spark my imagination a bit, and I think that's good, that, that uh, seeing something that that it automatically gives you ideas as to what you could use this for. Speaking of things from other game systems to be used in fantasy, in early January, Games Workshop announced there will be some new terrain pieces for the Lord of the Rings game, some Osgiliath ruins, an Osgiliath house, and an Osgiliath tower. Uh, if you don't know what Osgiliath is, then shame on you, go watch the Lord of the Rings movies. But these buildings, I think uh, you can probably use them in Warhammer Fantasy as well. You might want to add some bits uh, to uh, some decorations to make them more 
uh, look more like Empire or maybe use them. They, they do have a little bit of a Mediterranean look, so you could probably also use them as a Estalia uh, or, or Talia uh, terrain set. Um, or you could just keep them as is and use them in both uh, Middle Earth miniature game or uh, Warhammer Fantasy. Uh, I do have some of the older Osgiliad ruins that's a set with uh, uh, some parts of ruined buildings. Uh, also very nice. Uh, also modular, just as these are. You can also go uh, go inside the the tower and the, and the house and everything. And uh, I have used those Osgiliad ruins a couple of times in both in Warhammer Fantasy and in games of Mordheim. Uh, the Scale for Lord of the Rings is a little bit smaller than it is for Warhammer, especially nowadays. But the houses are a little bit bigger than they are in Warhammers, at least compared to the miniatures. So the the houses that you get with the Middle Earth strategy battle game, um, because they are so much bigger and in a way a little bit more realistic if you, if you have the uh, old cardboard houses that came with this 5th and 6th edition set then uh, they do look a little bit small um, but if you have these newer Osgiliad ruins or, or I don't know exactly the scale of the Rowan house or the, the Lake Town house but those are also some uh, some houses that are in a similar scale that I think can also be used very well for Warhammer Fantasy well that's it for Games Workshop news. We also have a little bit of community news. Uh, in the Facebook group, not much has been happening of late. We do have some paint challenge updates. Um, the February paint challenge, which will run for a couple more days, is called Fever Dreams. Uh, we already have a... Uh, an entry by uh, Jörn Huntler. Uh, Bruce Sigrist, I expect, will also paint up something. He usually does, and he commented that it was a great theme. So um, I do expect that he has some ideas there. I've also got my own uh, mandatory, well, mandatory for me, a zombie pirate there. And due to my illness, we were a little bit late in announcing the winner of the January challenge. Uh, that was Jörn. Jörn, congratulations uh, once more with a very beautifully painted Wood Elf War Dancer. Um, also got a nice backstory. He, he's got a, uh, a continuing universe going on there. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing it all published in a novel one day. And I'm already going to announce the theme for March as well. Uh, in March, there's going to be an international talk like a pirate day. I believe that's March the 15th or March the 17th or something like that. Anyway, a talk like a pirate day. So the theme is going to be pirates. Uh, that's not because I've been painting up zombie pirates for the past year and a half on these challenges. Uh, that's just a little something that I'm doing. I'm, I'm using these challenges to basically build an army on the side. And I just think that uh, you can do a lot of things with pirates. I'll put up the details in the Facebook group 
um, shortly. So it, uh, probably uh, early next week, if you're listening to this, uh, the date comes out. Speaking of other hobby-related stuff, um, I like I managed, I did get a game in. I played a game with, uh, with a guy I haven't played against before. His name is uh, Xavier. He hails from France originally, but he lives now in the Netherlands. He's got a big old beautiful house with a uh, rather spacious attic where we had a um, a game of 6th edition, his first game of 6th edition in 20 years. He played dwarves, I played with a night goblin host, 3000 points aside. And at first I thought to make a general orc and goblin force. Then I thought, well, I... One of the things that I, I haven't really had lots of experience with is squigs. I uh, I got that uh, squig box set with all the plastic squigs for for uh, Christmas. Um, haven't painted them up yet. I also had some metal squigs and squig hoppers lying around. And so far I only had two of the regular squig herds painted. So uh, six squigs and four night goblin handlers. And I wanted to do a bigger squig unit, so I took all the metal squigs I could find, um, painted them up, went really quick with the airbrush, and painted them up in time for this game. Uh, I had a unit with, I think, in total 18 regular squigs and uh, 6 squig hoppers. Of course, that unit exploded uh, on my half of the battlefield, uh, lots of squigs bouncing around. Uh, it was chaos. It, it took a long while, but it was a lot of fun. Uh, we are definitely going to play again with the same armies just to uh, to get in there, to, to get the rules, to um, get to know them a little bit better. And uh, yeah, that was a lot of fun. I, I painted up these squigs for that. I've also got another game planned for this Saturday against uh, Emil, a regular listener of the show. We've also heard him here before if you've listened to all the episodes so far. And uh, we are going to play a couple of games of 5th edition. I've made two 1500 points armies. One of them is Tomb Kings using the White Dwarf lists. And the other one is going to be Chaos because I would really like to use some of the Beastmen that I painted. But I also like to use some allies. So I added in some Chaos Warrior allies. And for this I also painted up some miniatures. I uh, got some of the plastic Tomb Guard with Halberts. They're still on the painting table. I hope I'll be able to finish them before Saturday. And... Uh, I also got a Chaos Mortal Lord that's going to be the leader of my uh, Allied Mortal Warband. Uh, I'm not going to say which of the four ruinous powers he adheres to, but it starts with a K and it ends usually in bloodshed. The miniatures that I painted for these games... Um, I do like to do that to, to, to add some, to use these games as an incentive to paint some more miniatures. And it's also nice to have a break from Beastmen for a bit. But that also distracted me from doing the Beastmen that I had planned to do. I did get to paint three regular Tuskor chariots and uh, Gorthor the Beast Lord on his chariot. I also had a second Gorthor model that I'm fielding on foot. So he's going, he's been painted as well. 
I had planned to also do a lot of the monopose beastmen uh, with the halberds, and I managed to. Um, I di I didn't manage to do them, but I I didn't want to paint a shaman. I started on him, but then I because I got ill, I had to abandon them. They will probably get done next month, uh, hopefully also without messing up my planning too much, uh, because I also want to do a whole host of minotaurs in March. Speaking of beastmen, um, I have a little hobbit at home. Uh, well, she, I can't call her a little hobbit anymore because she's three years old, so I have to call her a big hobbit. But uh, Lizzie, she likes uh, my oldest daughter. She also likes to paint miniatures. And if you're not a dad, then you probably um, won't be able to enjoy the next bit as much as you would have if you were a dad. Or maybe even if you are a dad and it's not your kid, it's, uh, it's not going to be that interesting to you. But when... During one of our painting sessions, I had uh, I put on my microphone and I recorded uh, basically what we were doing then, and that uh, gave me I think in total I did a couple of times gave me in total about uh, uh, three quarters of an hour worth of audio. I picked out some bits and and condensed it a little bit, so uh, it's, it's only going to be a two minute segment, but. As a dad, I'm very proud of my little girl painting, um, wanting to paint miniatures with me. What we're doing is I've got this monopose plastic beast man. Uh, sometimes I get one that's undercoated, otherwise it's just straight over gray plastic if I don't have one undercoated sitting ready. And then it's... Uh, I, I just let her pick out the colors, uh, contrast paint. She always wants to do a rainbow beast man. So that's what we have been doing and I'm going to uh, let you listen to a little bit of audio from that now and then I promise we'll dive right into the main topic for today. Okay Lizzie. Yeah. Yeah. What have you got there? A miniature. A miniature? What kind of miniature? A rainbow. A rainbow? Well, it's not yet a rainbow. What is that? A beast man. A beast man. You want to paint paint him up in all the colors of the rainbow? Yeah. Alright, which one also are we... Also indigo. Also indigo, yeah, that's also one of the colors of the rainbow. Which color do you want to do first? Uh, red. You want to start this, with red. Here, 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 I've got a brush for you, sweetie. Do you want bright red or dark red? A uh, bright red. Bright red. Let's start off with bright red. First we do... Shake shaky. Shaky shaky. Go ahead. Take it from the... Lid. Very good. Take it from the lid. This is going to be a rainbow. Yeah, you're going to make the... Crest a rainbow? Just rinse a little bit. Yeah, you just rinse it out when you're done. And then we dry it off. 
And which color do you want next? Uh, yellow. Yellow. Also bright yellow? Yeah, bright yellow. Bright yellow. Yeah, very good. That's enough. Now you can it's put it on the miniature. On you. Yeah, also a little bit on my fingers. That happens all the time. But that's okay. Which yeah. part do you want to make yellow? Uh, the back. You're gonna make his back yellow. Oh, a very chaosy beast man. Well, as you can hear, I forgot to tell you, we are raising our kids bilingual. I speak English to them at home, and uh, my wife speaks Dutch. So uh, that's why my three-year-old Dutch girl can um, paint a miniature and, and narrate what she's doing in English. Uh, like I said, for me, it's it's, it's a very cute, proud dad moment, and, and uh, I hope that was at least a little bit enjoyable to you, even if it's not your kid. Um, and I hope it might also inspire you, if you have children, to introduce them to the hobby. And I think the, the most important thing to do and to keep in mind is that you can introduce your kids but I don't think that you should force them because then it will only um, work against you uh, if, if they don't like anything if they don't like something then they would probably not pick up some hobby stuff in the future so uh, keep it simple keep it enjoyable and also use some miniatures that, especially with three-year-olds, use some miniatures that you can either uh, toss in the strip of fluid and paint over again, or that you can uh, that that you've got to spare. Don't don't get your newly raised price miniatures out there for your three-year-olds to mess up. Uh, just uh, keep it simple. And I think those monopose miniatures, monopose plastics from the Hero Hammer era work wonderful for them. And you can probably still get some of them for a very decent price. Especially those uh, Beastmen, they were also in uh, Battle Masters, I think they are the same ones. The Bretonian Archers come to mind that were included in the different paint pots, uh, paint sets. You have uh, also some 6th edition, some of the Monopose Orcs and the uh, the Empire models that were in the starter set. Those are very abundant as well. Uh, maybe also some of the uh, Advanced Hero Quest era Skaven. The, uh, the rats with the swords and the, uh, the holes where you, where you have to put the shields in. So yeah, there are some, some ideas, and so maybe you just have something lying around. Um, Nathan has a theory that everybody has some space marines lying around. Uh, and so you could also use those probably. Well, you, you, you get the gist. Uh, let's talk about the main topic about psychology. What I had planned to do is to cover all the different psychology tests from the first edition of Warhammer Fantasy all the way up to and including 8th edition. But I think that we're going to, it's going to be a little bit long and I've also um, 
since, since I also had a lot of hobby stuff to catch up on, I've decided to just do Panic for today. Just do Panic for the main podcast and the other types of psychology tests and the other types of psychology I will discuss in a Patreon episode. Uh, probably one, maybe even more Patreon episodes. Uh, yeah, I know we don't shout it out nearly as often as we should or as we would like, but we do have a Patreon page where we ideally upload at least one episode a uh, per month. Well, um, life sometimes gets in the way. Nathan is very busy and uh, I've been rather busy as well these past few months. So we are definitely not regularly updating our Patreon. But if you want some nice little bonus content, then please check out our Patreon. And if you do so, you will also help the podcast um, all the money that is going to be that, that we get through Patreon uh, is, is going to get reinvested into the podcast, and you can join for as little as one euro or dollar or pound, uh, whatever the currency is uh, per month. There are no tiers. It's just uh, you can give whatever you want to give to help make the War Games Orchard podcast possible. For psychology, we are going to start all the way back in first edition. First edition is an edition that I am definitely not familiar with, uh, neither are second and third edition, but there are, I do have some of the books. Uh, sadly, I don't yet have the first edition box, the uh, very first edition of Warhammer. Um, I do have the Forces of Fantasy, the first edition supplement, but not the first edition books. I've been looking out for them on eBay, but uh, prices are a little bit too steep for what's just basically three black and white typewriter uh, style books uh, that may not even be in their original box. In first edition, you have a section called Psychology. When a player is commanding a large number of troops, he cannot always depend on them to do exactly what he wants them to. His troops' instincts of self-preservation, their fears and their dislikes, will all affect their actions greatly. All this is simulated by the hate, fear, terror, frenzy and morale rules given in this section. Hate, fear, terror and frenzy are going to be discussed on the um, on the on the Patreon. Uh, what's also something that that comes to mind when you read this list is that uh, stupidity is still missing. It may or may not be covered elsewhere in the books. I'm not sure about that. But morale is what would later become panic. And the rules for morale are as follows. This goes a little bit differently than you are used to if you play in Warhammer 6th edition or, or, or even basically 4th edition upwards. Sometimes, because of the way the battle is going, troops will get scared and may retreat or flee the battlefield. The morale rules represent this. Morale checks should be taken whenever any of the following happens. 1. When a unit falls below half their strength. 
2. When a friendly unit of at least equal numerical strength breaks and routes within 15 inches. 3. When the army leader, king, etc. is killed. And 4. For an individual who is wounded. And that, that's uh, an individual character or a, a lone model. That's uh, what they're talking about there. Usually when you take a psychology test, you roll 2d6 and you compare it to the unit's leadership. That's not the case here. To make a morale check, you roll a d6 and you add modifiers. You add a modifier of minus 1 if the unit is at below half of its original strength in numbers. Minus 1 if something you fear is within 15 inches. Minus 1 if an enemy wizard is within 15 inches. Minus 1 if you are under attack by magic or by magically summoned creatures. And minus 2 if you are already routed. So if you are already fleeing, I believe that is. You also have some positive modifiers. You add plus 1 if the unit is not has not yet suffered any casualties. You add plus 1 for each friendly hero or army leader, king, etc. within 15 inches. You add plus 2 if the unit is actually being led by a hero, army leader or king, etc. And if you are a single figure, a lone model, then you add minus 1 for each wound that you have already sustained. So the more wounded you are, the more likely you are to flee. Which is a, a very nice mechanic, at least in role playing terms. After all these modifiers, you get a result. You remember you, you calculate all these modifiers and then you add them to the score that you got on a d6. If you have a 3 or more, then the check has been passed and there is no problem. If you have less than 3, you should consult the following chart. If you have a score of 0, your troops route immediately. If you have a roll of 1, your troops must retreat for 2 turns. And if you have a roll of 2, your troops must halt or retreat for 2 turns at player's discretion. So, um, I don't really know what these terms mean. I haven't looked them up yet. Uh, troops routed are, I think, fleeing in the same way that, or in a similar way that would happen later. Um, I guess there are also some troops that can be rallied because I do see the term rallying here on this page. Uh, at the end of each turn, any player may attempt to rally his broken troops. And then you must take a morale check and you must score at least a 3 to rally. So then all of those modifiers apply and, and you get the minus 2 I mentioned earlier if you are still uh, already routed. So the chances of rallying... Uh, are not very big and I think there are also some situations where you will uh, automatically keep fleeing because you just get uh, minus 5 or minus 6 on your roll immediately. So that's panic or morale in first edition. In second edition things are going to change a little bit. In 2nd edition we also have a psychology section. Uh, when a commander is supervising a large body of soldiers he cannot always depend on them to do exactly what he wants them to do. His troop instincts of self-preservation, their fears and their dislikes will all affect their actions. So 
that's something that we see in basically every edition. Um, you can have all the best laid plans in the world as a general, but if your troops do not cooperate, then uh, yeah, that, that's something that can happen. And I really like that they included these psychology rules because I think that adds a large amount of realism to the Warhammer battles. There are some instances of insane courage in the real world, in uh, real battles as well. Some uh, famous last stand scenarios. Uh, think, for example, of the Thin Red Line, uh, a group of uh, um, Scottish Highlanders that uh, stood still in the face of a cavalry charge. And, and if even one of them would have routed, uh, it is said then the uh, cavalry, the uh, Turkish cavalry, I believe it was, or the Russian cavalry, maybe they, they would have broken through. There are some other examples as well, and there are also some examples of a large army that is being defeated by a small force because of things like fear and panic. Um, stuff happening that, that affects your morale. Uh, I really like that they included this in the game. So, in 2nd edition, we get stupidity for the first time. We get stupidity, frenzy, panic, terror, fear, and hatred. I believe hatred is also not there in 1st edition. Um, here, morale is first called panic, and um, panic is what is going to be called for the rest of the editions. There is a strict sequence of testing and the sequence is the uh, list I just mentioned in that order. So first you test for stupidity, then frenzy, then panic, terror, fear, and finally hatred. The way you test um, is that you, you roll for the whole unit. The result will apply to the entire unit, including any characters. That's in second edition already, and that's basically just something that stayed the same. Characters not leading a unit, but traveling with them may be subject to different psychological effects than the unit as a whole. That's also something that can happen if you have a frenzied character in a non-frenzied unit, for example. There are some rules for what happens when you have a character leading a unit. And then we get to the different tests themselves. Panic simulates the demoralizing influences of being attacked in the rear or seeing friends run away. The test is made when, and we only have two options here, whenever a friendly routing unit of at least equal numerical strength approaches to within 4 inches, or if such a unit is already within 4 inches at the beginning of a player's turn. And a routing unit is, uh, if I interpret this correctly, what you would later be a fleeing unit. So a unit that's already fleeing, if they are within 4 inches of you at any point in the game, you have to take a panic test. And the second one, the test is also taken by a unit which has been charged in the rear whilst fighting somebody else to their front. The test is taken even if the unit has spare models to turn around to face their new attackers, which was apparently a thing in second edition. So if you're attacked in the rear whilst in combat, that's also something that we will see in later editions. 
The way panic tests are taken have changed as well. This is a lot more like what you are used to. You roll 2d6 and if the score is equal to or less than the troops cool value, then they are unaffected and may continue as normal. If the score is more than their cool, the unit may not move for the remainder of that turn, except that they may turn to face a charge and they can be pushed back or routed as normal. They do not follow up um, pushed, pushed back enemy units or pursue routed enemy. And for the rest of the turn they may not fire missiles and count as panicked on the combat table. There are a lot of terms here that I wish I uh, did know a little bit more about the rules for 2nd edition. So um, I'm going to skip over them. I will probably at some point dive into 2nd edition and 1st edition. Um, in, in the latest solo app I did, I had a, I asked a question of you and I said, well, I have this plan of basically starting in 1983 and going through all the different Warhammer publications, seeing what has been released for, for the games, how the game have been developing, which new miniatures, which new, uh, supplementary materials, which spin-off games, all that kind of thing. And... I got several responses on that on the um, Crown of Command Discord where we have a Wargames Orchard section. Several people said, yes, please do that. So I've been mostly thinking about this. Um, I, I've been making the excuse for myself that I still don't have the first edition books um, in, in hard copy. Uh, I, I know, of course, that you can get a PDF online um, probably not very legal to do so, but uh, it doesn't take too much searching to get those books in PDF. But that's also my aversion to e-readers and stuff like that. I would like to have my my books in a book form and not in a uh, uh, in a screen. Moving on to third edition. In third edition, we have. A psychology section um, which starts off in the same way as it does in first and second edition. A psychology test is, um, it, it says here in general how it's done, a psychology test is always taken in the same way, a 2d6 test against the unit's cool. The unit's cool value is assumed to be that of its constituent troops, although the presence of a character model as the unit's leader will confer a bonus. So what you have in 2nd uh, and 3rd edition is what would later become leadership has been split into several stats. You have, well you still have leadership, but you also have cool willpower and uh, there's another one that I forgot now. Uh, these are more role-playing stats, and cool is the stat that basically determines how you can keep your wits about you in unnerving situations, if you can keep your cool. What you have in later editions is if you have a character with a higher leadership, then you can simply use the character's leadership. But in 3rd edition, you used to have some characters that have a cool value, for example, 7 plus 2. 
Uh, that means that the character itself has a cool value of 7, but when he joins a unit of troops, he adds 2 to the unit's cool value, and that's what's being talked about here. The tests that are shown here are uh, the same ones that we will find in later editions. Fear, Frenzy, Hatred, Panic, Stupidity, and I thought I also saw Terror, but I might have uh, glanced over it. Um, I think Terror is, uh, is maybe contained within Fear here. Well, we will find out on the uh, Patreon episode. Looking at Panic. Communication is difficult on the battlefield. Not only is it difficult to see what's going over the on what's going on over the next rise, it may even be impossible to tell what's happening at the other end of the same formation. Troops are therefore inclined to respond directly to what's going on around them, or to what they imagine is going on around them. Seeing a friendly unit rout, they might believe the entire army is fleeing. Suddenly attacked in the rear, they might think themselves surrounded and doomed. In these situations, it is easy for panic to set in with disastrous results. A test must be made in the following circumstances, and instead of two, we now have seven. If at the start of the side's turn, a unit finds itself within four inches of a visible, friendly routing unit. If during the enemy's turn the unit is charged in the side or rear while already engaged in frontal hand-to-hand -hand combat. So these two are basically the same as what had happened. And, and then it says so that unengaged models may be turned to face such an attack assuming the panic text has passed. And if the charging unit fails to contact the unit at more than the normal 22.5 degrees the test is not necessary. So you also have to take into account the angle in which the unit charges, if I understand this correctly. And then it goes on about what happens then, some uh, details about combat, which rules are, are not allowed. Uh, I'm going to skim over them and go to reason number 3 to panic. If during the enemy's turn the unit is charged in the side or rear by an enemy force emerging from concealing cover, such as a wood, or any situation in which they, theoretically, could not have been seen at the beginning of the movement phase, so if the enemy sneaks up on you. If during the enemy's turn the unit is charged while it is crossing an obstacle, for example it is divided by a hedge, entering a building counts as an obstacle. A unit that is half in and half out of a house must make this test if attacked. Note that a unit may make no maneuvers while crossing an obstacle and therefore models may not turn to meet their attacker. Models are unable to turn away uh, model, sorry, models unable to turn away may take free bra free backs from the enemy. Free backs. Ah, I guess it's something like a uh, a free attack in the in the back that you get. Uh, this uh, gives me some uh, Dungeons Dragons vibes that if you leave the threatened space, you get a free attack of opportunity. Something like that, I guess. Um, yeah, I should really read up on all these rules before I, I do another episode like this, but uh, well, uh, maybe this way we can discover it together. Reason number five. If a friendly unit within 12 inches route from hand-to-hand -hand combat, a panic test must be made immediately. 
and the measurement is made from the routing unit's original position before its route move is taken. If the testing unit has four times as many models in the routing unit, the test is made with a cool bonus of plus one. If a unit is engaged in close combat and one or more character models leaves, the unit must take an immediate panic test. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. If the captain abandons the ship, then uh, you might uh, think what's going on. However, if a unit includes three or more character models and the character with the lowest or equal lowest character level leaves, there is no need to test. If the unit routes, it does not include the model which, was, which has already left, although a further panic test may be required for the proximity of routers. And finally, reason number seven. This test must be made at any time if the GM thinks it is appropriate. This is a catch-all rule that enables the GM to apply his common sense to a situation and must be used with discretion. I love that they said that uh, it's not going to be uh, Opera Winfrey handing out cars. You get a panic test and you get a panic test. Well, uh, it goes on to say any unit failing a panic test routes immediately, so uh, that would probably mean that they flee. If in hand-to-hand -hand combat it will route away from the enemy and may be pursued as if it had broken as a result of combat. If swept away by another routing unit it will follow the path of that unit as directed by the GM. The GM has the final say over route direction. You see here the role-playing aspect that was still prevalent in Warhammer 3rd uh, edition in the Old Hammer era. Moving on from the Old Hammer era, we get to Hero Hammer, we get to 4th edition. In 4th edition, we see the rules of psychology uh, solidify a little bit more to what they would be in later editions as well. The test is now a leadership test because cool has been assimilated into leadership. You roll 2d6 and compare the result to your leadership value. That's the way it, it goes all the time from now on. Panic is the most common psychological effect. When troops see their friends running away, this will upset them. Some will lose their nerve. A few may bolt, or a uh, few may bolt for it, causing others to follow, and soon the whole unit is fleeing away from the battle in blind panic. Some troops are steadier than others, as indicated by their leadership value. Troops with a high leadership are much less likely to panic than troops with a low leadership. A unit must take a panic test in the following circumstances. We have now only four different circumstances. You test at the start of your turn if there is a fleeing friendly unit within four inches. That one has been ported over from the Oldhammer era. You test if a friendly unit within 12 inches is broken as a result of being defeated in hand-to-hand -hand combat, and we also saw that one before. It's best to work out all the combats and then establish all broken units before making panic tests for units nearby. And you must also make this test if a friendly unit is completely eradicated in hand-to-hand -hand fighting. Such a unit cannot be broken as it no longer exists, but the sight of its destruction amounts to the same thing. Only one panic test is required regardless of how many broken friendly units are within 12 inches. Reason number three. 
you test if you are already fighting in combat and you are charged in the flank or rear by another enemy unit. So in 2nd edition it was only when you got charged in the rear, in 3rd edition they added the flank to that. And this is a rule that's also going to stick around for a while. You make this test as soon as charges have declared their charge and um, if they are within charge range. And it does say here if the enemy unit is smaller than 5 models then no test is required because there are too few models to cause a panic. And if the chargers are unable to reach the unit then no test is required as well. You also have to test if you sustain 25% of your number of uh, casualties as shooting in the shooting phase. This is, I think, for my armies, the most common reason why they start to panic uh, damage through shooting or magic. Um, and then it goes on to, to say how you calculate the 25%. You make this test as soon as the 25% barrier is crossed and this may result in a charging unit panicking if for example it is attacking a unit of bowmen which stands and shoot at it. A unit which fails its panic test will flee in the same way as a unit broken in hand-to-hand -hand combat or a unit fleeing from a charging enemy. If a unit panics at the start of the turn before, uh, because of fleeing troops within 4 inches it may not attempt to rally that turn and must flee during its movement phase. If engaged in hand-to-hand -hand combat when it panics, then the normal flee and pursue rules apply. The fleeing unit may be pursued and destroyed in the same way as a unit which breaks following defeat in combat. And then it goes on on the next page to give you some examples with diagrams of what happens and how units flee in 4th edition. Moving on from 4th edition to 5th edition, we see that 5th edition is a bit of a scarier place because now we have 6 reasons for panicking. 5th edition gives you the order of tests and it says psychology tests are taken at the start of a player's turn, many tests are taken at the start of a player's turn and when a player is called upon to take different tests at the start of the turn you do them in the same order as they are listed here. The order is panic as first then you do fear, then uh, terror, stupidity, frenzy, and hatred. Well, I don't think um, frenzy is a test in this edition, but um, that's the order in which they are listed anyway. A unit must take a panic test in the following six circumstances. Fleeing friends within four inches at the start of a turn, Friends break from hand-to-head -hand combat within 12 inches. You are charged in the side or rear whilst engaged in combat. These are all the same as what we have seen before. Then number 4 is a new one. Fleeing friends destroyed by charges within 4 inches. If a friendly unit flees from a charge and is caught and destroyed, then all friendly units within 4 inches of the final position of the fleeing troops must take a panic test once all charges are complete but before hand-to-hand -hand fighting starts. No test is required for a unit that outnumbers its destroyed friends in the same way as described for 1 above. Uh, I didn't read out 1 fleeing friends within 4 inches at the start of a turn but it says uh, if you outnumber the fleeing units or the combined total of fleeing units if there are more than one 
uh, within four inches, then you don't have to take a test. Number five is also a new one. Your general is slain. If your army's general is killed, then every unit in your army must take an immediate panic test. With your leader dead, rumor of defeat spreads across the battle front like wildfire. This is often a moment when battles are won and lost. And this is also one of the reasons why 5th edition and 4th edition as well is called Hero Hammer. And the last one, reason number 6, is 25% of casualties from shooting or magic. In 4th edition it was just 25% casualties from shooting, now they've added magic to that. And I think, using the spirit of the rules when you play with 4th edition, I think I would also still take a test when I get 25% casualties from a uh, magic spell or something like that. Uh, it goes on to say what happens if you panic, you will flee, and if you uh, panic at the start of the turn, you cannot rally in the same turn. And there's also a little section here on voluntary tests. It is conceivable that the situation occurs where both players agree a panic test is in order, even though the rules don't strictly require it. This is most likely to happen if fighting a scenario you have invented, perhaps where ambushers spring a trap, where boulders are, uh, uh, or, um, oh, I, I think that's a spelling error, where boulders are thrown from cliffs or some such circumstance the players have contrived. If both players agree, then a panic test can be taken to represent the unsettling situation in which a unit finds itself. So, even though we don't have the Games Master anymore that we had in 3rd edition who would decide if you take a panic test or not, you still have the option to do so if both players agree. Uh, sorry, I dropped my books here. I don't know if you heard that. But the... Um, I think this is also uh, a, a great part of the Warhammer rules and of the spirit of the game. Uh, the, the golden rule of Warhammer is always to have fun. And I think Warhammer Fantasy was never really designed to be a tournament game because of all the stuff that could happen. Um, and I must say that uh, the players that I play are usually very laid back and are not very competitive and... Um, whenever a situation arises where we have a rules dispute, uh, I will usually try to interpret the rules to my disadvantage, and I've noticed my opponent will usually do the same as well. So I think that's very much in the spirit of the game that this is included. Moving on to 6th edition. In 6th edition, not much changes. A few things change. We get some extra rules here that if you have cavalry models, then you use the rider's leadership. If you have a um, uh, a unit led by a character, you use the character's leadership. That was also in 5th edition and 4th edition, I believe, as well. But I skipped over it. And it also says here that you have to take the tests in the order um, that they are presented here. So first you take a panic test and then... A stupidity test. And if you flee from panic, you don't take a stupidity test. The psychology tests you get in 6th edition include one more than the ones that you have in 5th edition, or at least the psychology rules. 
We still have panic, fear, terror, and stupidity, frenzy, and hatred, but stubborn is being added as a seventh type of psychology. Panic is the most common and most important psychological effect. It still is, it always has been, it always will be. You test in the following six conditions. Fleeing friends are, destroy, uh, are within four inches of your unit at the start of the turn. Friends within six inches break from close combat or are destroyed. So that was 12 inches, they've reduced that to six inches. The unit is charged in the side of rear whilst engaged in combat, that's still the same. Fleeing friends are destroyed by charges who are within 4 inches that's been ported over from 5th edition. The unit suffers 25% casualties from shooting or magic, that one is also still the same. And you get a new 6th reason, a unit is wiped out by shooting within 4 inches. And I assume, although it doesn't say so, yeah it says so later on, it's uh, wiped out by shooting or magic within 4 inches. And you always test these things at the end of the phase in 6th edition. What, um, what we see here is that the rule for taking a panic test when the general is killed no longer applies. Now I don't know if this was a house rule or not back in the day. I, I have been trying to locate it but I couldn't find it. Uh, when I started out playing Warhammer, it was right at the, at the tipping point of uh, between 5th and 6th edition. And in 5th edition, um, there was a situation where if your entire army was fleeing, that would automatically mean you lose the game. So that, that would be the same as if everything was destroyed. I don't know if this is something that my high school great gaming group uh, misinterpreted or if that's something that somebody learned and never checked uh, it, it it should have been in fifth edition i think um but it might also have been something that's uh, uh been added on by by someone or and that we just took for granted that that was the case so maybe somebody knows you can tell me. I haven't been able to, to locate that rule in 5th edition anywhere. So uh, um, I, I'm pretty sure I didn't imagine it. But I'm also pretty sure it's not in the official rules. Although there, there is something to say for it. That if your entire army is fleeing. That you cannot then um, win the game anymore. 7th edition, 7th edition has always been a weird edition, um, it's, it's still one I enjoy playing, but for some reason it's always 4th, 5th, 6th or 8th that I play, for some reason nobody wants to play 7th, uh, it is the edition I played for the longest, at least in terms of uh, time, because even when 8th edition was around I never got to learn the rules, I didn't play very often, so... I, I asked my regular opponent, uh, well, shall we, uh, shall we play 7th edition? Uh, because that's the last edition. In hindsight, we probably would have played 6th if, um, um, well, if, if you play 7th, why not play 6th? I think there are a lot of things in 7th edition that are just slightly off the mark. Um, but I don't think that the psychology rules are one of them. And the main reason is that 
you don't see many changes between the psychology rules, at least for the panic rules, between um, 6th and 7th edition. In 7th edition, you still have all the same uh, psychology rules that you had in 6th edition, except that Unbreakable is added in the psychology section, and in 6th edition that was something that was either a separate rule that was in, in with all the uh, other special rules, or it might have been just something that didn't get its own term back in the day. I, I'm pretty sure it was, but I'm, I'm not 100% sure. So, Panic in 7th edition. A unit must take a panic test in the following circumstances. It suffers 25% more casualties. Now, it doesn't say which phase it is in the title, but later on it says a unit must take a panic test at the end of any phase except the close combat phase if it has lost 25% or more of the models it starts the phase with. Reason number two, a friendly unit within 6 inches is destroyed. Reason number three, a friendly unit within 6 inches breaks from combat. And reason number four, fleeing friendly models move through the unit. So this is no longer testing if something is within 4 inches. This is uh, fleeing friends have to move through the unit and then you will have to take a test. Um, moving on to 8th edition, the uh, final edition for the panic rules that we are going to discuss today. In 8th edition... Panic is no longer included in the psychology section, because there is no psychology section. In 8th edition, Panic gets its own section, its own two pages, and all the other psychology rules are included in the following pages in the special rules set. So, for example, fear, terror, uh, stupidity, that's all in there with special rules, where you also see things like impact hits and like... Uh, the rule lore master, the rule poisoned attacks, multiple wounds, all those things that got their own terms and their own definitions if they hadn't had them already. The, they are all grouped in with these special rules, except Panic. Panic is a different one. And it makes sense, I think, to do it in this way. Because if something causes fear or terror, or if something is stupid, it always says so in the special rules section. So it makes sense to put it in with special rules. And on the other side, it also makes sense to put it in with psychology because it is a psychological effect. What I like is that um, the wording for these sections for, for panic, uh, it, it hasn't changed much. Maybe it's also because the effect hasn't changed itself, but... Um, it's not word for word. They, they did rephrase it a little bit in 8th edition. For example, for Panic it says, The battlefield is a disconcerting place, to say the least, full of confusion, death and unsettling circumstances. Under such conditions, it's not entirely surprising that troops might not perform in the manner that you wish them to. Faced with allies and comrades being slain at the hands of the foe, you may find that your warriors scatter and leave the battlefield rather than fight on. And Warhammer will be governed these situations and the likelihood of them occurring with the rules for panic. So, 
it goes on to describe how you take a panic test and also when you take a panic test and when not to take a panic test. A unit does not take a panic test if it is in close combat. The immediate fray blots out all other events going on around them, so if you are in combat you get tunnel vision. That means no longer being charged in the rear whilst in combat that no longer causes a panic test. A unit does not take a panic test if the unit is already fleeing. That's something that I think has also been the same in the earlier editions. Uh, I didn't read out all the rules for panic because they are basically still the same, but I do remember that this is something that's happened in um, in 6th uh, edition at least. I think probably also in 5th edition. Um, but then again in 2nd uh, and 3rd edition you had those route tests, and if uh, especially in 1st edition. If you are already fleeing, then you get a negative modifier to any further panic tests, or morale tests as they were called then. And uh, back to 8th edition, finally remember that the unit does not take a panic test if it has already passed one earlier in the phase. Its nerve has been tested already. Assuming a unit is not subject to the circumstances described above, the most common circumstances under which a unit must take a panic test are... Heavy casualties. If you have suffered 25% or more casualties, uh, this will be commonly taken as the result of shooting attacks or damage caused by enemy spells, but it can also be because of dangerous terrain and stuff like that. Since we don't test in combat, that has been covered, so you don't get the combat phase excluded uh, here because it has already been excluded. Uh, the second reason for panic is if nearby friends are annihilated uh, for any reason enemy any friendly unit within six inches must immediately test for panic if friends within six inches break then you must test for panic and if a unit is flat through the same as it was in seventh edition you have to test for panic well that is going to be it for the different versions of panic which of these do you like best i think uh, for me it's probably the ones in fifth or sixth edition because that's when i started if i look at all the different reasons um well, I've, I've always been one who roots for the underdog and the rule you have to take a panic test if the general is slain that was only around in fifth edition uh, i think it's very characterful on the other side, there's also a reason why they dropped it, because it can be game-breaking. If you have a, uh, um, a tooled-out Chaos Lord that makes a beeline for your Toughness 3 or 4 Elf Lord, then, um, well, maybe Elf is not a good example because they have a high leadership, but uh, if, if you take out a uh, an Orc leader or a Goblin leader um, with a, a strong character, then... The entire army may start to flee and yeah, that can really mess up the game for both players. So I do understand why they dropped it. On the other hand, yeah, cutting off the head of the snake is a tactic that has proven to be effective multiple times in the past. Alright, that's going to be it for this week. I am going to... Uh, go through the other rules for psychology and put them on the Patreon page. Uh, 
I would like to thank you all very much for listening. And as always, have a great week. Thanks for listening. You can connect with us on Instagram or email us at wargamesorchard at gmail.com. And don't forget to join us on Facebook at The Warhammer Orchard. Know ye now, the time of mortals has come to an end.